welcome to all those tuning in to January's Southwest Climate Podcast. Uh, it's Tuesday, January 28th. Uh, it's been, I believe, a couple months since I sat down with uh, Mike Crimmins to talk about weather and climate here in the Southwest. Um, but we'll do that. And I, I would say that uh, the last month uh, has been simultaneously really boring and really eventful. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Mike, I'll start this off with you. <clears throat> if we went back 30 days, right, so go back in time 30 days and tell me what you would have expected happening. I would have expected to see a cloud at least two or three times during the month of January. Um, and I'm not sure what eventful you're talking about because I'm, I'm more queuing in on the boring part of the last 30 days here in southern Arizona, watching sun come up, sun go down, it get kind of warm, get kind of cool, and that's about it. And you know, looking back at the, the precip record, I can't find anything in the precip record over the last 30 days, at least here for Tucson, and I think that's the case across most of the southwest. But that's my, that's my cue for eventful. Oh, good. So in the, in the boringness, in the lack of rain, uh, we're actually in some pretty, pretty novel territory, it looks like, uh, across the West, too. We're not just talking about Arizona. In fact, if you look at uh, California, California has been in some really dry conditions to the point where Governor um, Brown declared uh, a California emergency for, for drought conditions. If you look at the snowpack in, in, the, in the, the Reno area, the, the Tahoe area, it is near record for many of those, those snowpacks. So they're in, they're in pretty dire, dire situations. So Mike, you're the, you're the weather guy. You pay attention to sort of jet stream. Talk to me a little bit about why has there been such uh, drastically dry, dry conditions? So and is drastic a word you would even use? Drastic is a great word. I, I can think of other, you know, other words we could throw out here. But the, the, the interesting term that sort of emerged here, and I, I'd like to actually track down where this came from, but in the weather community, and it's sort of bleeding out in the blogosphere, is the ridiculously resilient ridge, the dreaded 3R. And it's what the <laughs> meteorologists have been using to describe the jet stream pattern across the, the western U.S. And, and that's just a, a kind of an interesting way of describing that the jet stream, or we call a ridge pattern when it, the jet stream buckles to the north. So when you're importing warm air from the equator towards the north and it gets stuck in this position, in this ridge position, it's actually been what's causing the, the persistent storm track to be steered away from the coast of California, which it should be um, taking aim at um, through the month of January, it just hasn't. It's actually been taking aim at the coastal um, areas of Alaska right now. So that's, so the ridiculous resilient ridge. This is a case where basically the winds are off the coast, uh, west coast, they're, they're going north, they go into California, and then they, they sort of, they skirt around most of um, the western coast of, of the U.S., and then they dip down on the other side of the Rockies? That's right. So we can paint a little visual picture here. So the, the jet stream pattern, um, when, it's very, very, when it's moving very, very fast and has um, little wave activity in it, it's called zonal, right? And so that, that actually is, um, we can think of the jet stream um, just sort of taking aim at the west coast of continental U.S. and moving quickly across the U.S. So little wiggles in that will be little storms, okay? So uh, maybe even backing up, let's actually talk about what the jet stream is and how it forms. So the jet stream is a high level, um, we're talking about 30, 35,000 feet in the atmosphere, um, uh, stream of wind that forms in response to the uh, sharp temperature contrast at the ground. So wherever the temperature changes from north to south very, very quickly at the ground, is, uh, causes the atmosphere to form a jet stream up, up at higher um, uh, altitudes within the atmosphere, right? Okay, so 
the reason that we pay attention to the jet stream is the jet stream is sort of the steering uh, mechanism for storm systems. So storm systems will form and ride along whatever the jet stream pattern is. And when it dips south in the northern hemisphere, that's actually when we have storm systems gaining energy and um, pulling in moisture and producing precipitation. When it uh, rises or ridges north from south to north in the northern hemisphere, then we actually have the imp importing of warm air and then stable um, conditions or high pressure systems will form under that, which we call a ridge. So that helps sort of paint that picture. So what ends up happening over the last six weeks in particular is that the jet stream has had this ridge pattern over the East Pacific. So the, the, the air out in the middle of the Pacific has been um, bulging north, um, importing warm air all the way up towards the Arctic Circle, and then has been diving down um, through Canada and then through the Midwestern US, which has been causing all of that cold, colder air to, or the dreaded polar vortex um, to sort of park over that area and bring all that cold weather and storm, storm activity. Now, it's, it's worth saying that in any particular month or any couple of months, you're going to get ridges, you're going to get troughs the opposite. So you would expect there to be some variability in that. The, 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 re, the resilient part of the ridiculous resilient ridge is, in fact, that there hasn't been uh, changing of that pattern. That's right. That's a real key point of this is that we think of the jet stream. So you think of the jet stream, we talk about waves. You know, we think of waves on a beach, which are um, gravity, right? So um, water is sort of rising up or crashing down based on wave patterns in the ocean. The jet stream is a wave that's horizontal in the sense that it's forming from north to south, right? And the jet stream actually has energy in it, and these waves typically move around the globe. So if you can imagine sort of taking a, a piece of hose and snapping it, and you watch the wave sort of progress down, down the uh, piece of hose, the jet stream has sort of similar um, wave propagation. Sometimes you can actually have waves that propagate backwards, sometimes they move forwards, sometimes they get stuck. So typically in winter times, you'll have waves form, that's totally normal, but then they'll actually move downstream and they'll sort of rise up and sink down as far as we're talking about the jet stream pattern. Um, but occasionally what you'll do is you'll get these situations where the jet stream will sort of park and the wave patterns will stand. So you have standing waves in the jet stream, and that's when you have these sort of persistent, or we call blocking patterns in the atmosphere. And so the ridiculously resilient ridge that's been parked off the East Pacific has been one of these patterns that's just been extremely persistent um, blocking in a sense that it's not letting storm systems sort of move in on their normal things. And um, persisting in a, in a fashion that's, you know, six, eight weeks is kind of, um, I, well, it's not kind of, it's extremely unusual, especially in the wintertime. Well, yeah, and if you look at the snowpacks in the Tahoe area and other mountains, they're at their record lows. So mm -hmm. in, in a sense, this is quite, quite novel. It is, it is, you know, and another another aspect of this too is that if this was a, a strong El Nino or a strong La Nina year, I would, you know, we would we would really be looking to that as the cause, right? The La Nina and El Ninos typically are, you know, they're the big changes in ocean temperatures across the equatorial Pacific, which can cause standing waves in the jet stream. So then you get in these situations where you have blocking, and you get these parade of storms or a lack of parade of storms across the west. That would then make sense, but we don't we don't really have a culprit right now to actually point back to of what could potentially be causing this. Right, and I was sort of under the impression that when you have the neutral years, which it the ENSO neutral is, is is ongoing, it's been ongoing, and it looks like it's going to continue to be that way for the for the rest of the winter. When you get the neutral conditions, you in fact tend to have more sort of wavy, more more sort of north south movement of you you don't get a blocking pattern or 
you, you get the oscillations between the ridges and the troughs more often. But yeah, you typically have a, a more progressive jet stream pattern um, that you know, doesn't sort of get stuck or locked in anything um, for, for very long. Um, so yeah, so I think we're going to be sort of trying to, you know, scratching our heads for a while to sort of figure out what may be behind causing, you know, it could be just sort of natural variability, it could be just strange bad luck in jet stream position, but there's most likely something out there that has sort of reinforced the position of the jet. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because as I pay more and more attention to the weather and as the years go, go by, there's always something novel about the current winter or the current summer. You yeah. know? And this winter, it seems like the stamp on it is, in fact, it's, it's been this, this ridge pattern that's been persistent. But I, I was sort of trolling around trying to find what other people were saying about this online. And it does seem like a lot of people are kind of scratching their, their head at the moment. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've done the same sort of trying to go in the background, and you, you look at a lot of the ways that we, we monitor climate through these different indices, and, and none of the indices really are very clear um, winners as far as perfectly describing the current pattern or the persistence in the pattern. There's kind of a mixed signal of a lot of different things, and, and it, you know, that tells part of the story in the sense of you, know, you can't set record dry conditions. You know, some, some of the precipitation records now being set in California go back to 1895, which is the beginning of the instrumental record. So meaning that we just haven't seen um, a persistent pattern like that in over 100 years. Um, so, you know, that, that stands out that this is sort of a, a unique situation. So we should put some numbers, I, I guess, to, to this. Uh, it hasn't, in Tucson, it hasn't rained here mo more than a trace since, uh, I believe, December 2024. 20, so it's been, uh, it's been a month and a half now. Um, where we've gotten zero precipitation. Uh, that's the case for uh, most of New Mexico as well. I'm looking at a map here that says in, uh, in the last month between December 28th and January 26th, uh, most of New Mexico has experienced about an inch of deficit in precipitation. And in comparison to some of the deficits in the mountain areas of, of California, which are on the order of um, 12, 16 inches, you know, it pales in comparison, but of course we don't get that much rain here to begin with. So an inch is quite, quite significant and it's quite significant in a month where we tend to get uh, a good fair share of our, of our precipitation. Yeah, I think, to, you know, just to, to put a little finer point on that is that we got to sort of think about the region here. If we, you know, if we start thinking big Southwest where you lump in like California and you lump in Nevada, um, there's a real important distinction geographically and physiogeographically across the region is that um, California has a Mediterranean climate, right? So they get almost all of their winter, they get almost all of their precipitation during one season, right? And it's right now. So if they miss it, you know, if they skate through the next couple of months and don't get anything else, they don't have a monsoon. So they can't, they don't have a double season like we do down here to do any sort of catch up or make up here. And also our current drought pattern is a, is a mix of a pretty bang up um, summer monsoon season here that's sort of still lagging in the drought indices through here. And then this really unusual, um, very, very wet event in late November that, you know, three day totals were records across um, parts of the Southwest and even a little bit of, um, I think it clipped a little bit of Southern California and, and went up through the, the Four Corners region. So you've got, you know, you're, we're kind of bouncing around between extremes looking over the last couple of seasons. And, and so the California situation becomes even more dire in the sense that every day that um, clicks on and they don't pick up any sort of precipitation means that they won't 
they won't be able to see anything until next winter, right? <laughs> we at least have the monsoon season to sort of catch up a little bit in, a, in a, clearly a different way hydrologically, but um, still that helps us out a little bit and it's certainly helped ease drought conditions down here. Right, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the snow footprint um, because uh, part of our upper Colorado River Basin, in fact, a lot of our upper Colorado River Basin in Colorado has been um, absent, I guess, of, of this ridiculous, the impact of the, of, of the ridge. So their snowpacks aren't as dire as, let's say, um, people on, on the West Coast. They're, they're running close to, close to near average in, in Colorado. Now, Utah, on the other hand, it's, it's all below average there. But basically, the, the Rockies from Colorado up through Wyoming and even in parts of Montana and Idaho haven't fared as poorly as other places uh, across, across the West. And that, and that again, is, is, is an impact of the sort of trajectory of that, um, uh, of the jet stream where it was sort of coming down on that side of the, on the eastern side of the Colorado, uh, or on the eastern side of the Rockies on, on the Rockies as well. And so it's brought, brought storms there. So that's, that's kind of good news for um, uh, the water supply here. The early stream flow forecast for the Colorado are all around 90 to 100 percent. So um, that's at least somewhat optimistic. The upper Rio Grande is running at close to close to average, but of course, as you go down uh, down river and you're starting to um, incorporate uh, rivers in, in New Mexico and, and Arizona, where it's been a lot dry, a lot drier than it has in, in, in the upper basins, then those uh, stream flow forecasts begin to begin to dip. Yeah, you know, I think we, we were talking earlier before um, getting in line here with the podcast was that if you look at the accumulation of snow in the um, Colorado and any of the northern Rockies that well it's actually mostly Colorado is that 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 was picked up in the really early part of the season too with our actually sort of wet events the November yeah and they've been on the front side of this ridge so that what that means is that the storms when the storms do sort of skate in on the front side of the ridge they're coming like right out of central Canada riding down the cool side of the ridge and that that trajectory of storms is very dry so even when you do get a storm that kind of comes through the, the sort of intermountain west it's one of those cool, dry Alberta clippers, and they don't really put down much. So all that snowpack that they're dealing with was put down in a couple of storms in late November, early December. So it's preserved. It's preserved. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, we're not talking that they've been in the, like, outs, like they've been in the, this sort of wet pattern. All they've been doing is they've been in a cool pattern. That's, they've sort of shut the fridge door and have kept that snowpack on ice. And um, that's what the, the stream flow forecasts are actually responding to. It's not that they've sort of tracked on an accumulated precip we have. They've been in sort of the same dry pattern, just on the cool side of it, which has helped things going. That's not a sustainable pattern. Um, so as we get further into January, well, we're pretty far into January. If we get into February, we start picking up snow, those forecasts are gonna drop through the floor. Yeah, and we're, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of stream flow forecasts, we're no longer in the early season, I would, you know. It's no, kind I mean, of we're kind of in the middle, right? I mean, we're, we should be picking up most of our accumulation. And that jet stream pattern, again, it's like we said, it's keeping, the, keeping that snow on ice. To really put down good snowpack, we gotta start picking up um, a storm track that's coming right in off the Pacific and picking up on some subtropical moisture. And then that's how you're gonna put down some, some late season snowpack. So if I, was, if I was betting and I you know, was looking at the odds, I would, I, I would say this pattern has to change just by virtue of it being a, a, a rare instance to begin yeah, with. That's exactly right. And that's been the interesting thing to watch this pattern um, set up in December, and it's even had, it's had, there's vestiges of it going way back into last year, but really watching it set up in December and persist is that when we look at weather models that are looking out at seven to 10 days, um, even the weather models couldn't, 
couldn't resolve that this thing would keep going like it has been. They would try to break down the pattern and then the next run of the model would come up and put it back up and then it would try to, so they've actually been having resolving it, um, trouble resolving it and keeping it um, uh, sort of persisting in the future. It does seem to be though changing, like as we speak right now in the last couple of days, the model runs for the end of this week, which would be right at the beginning of February and through the first week of February, show a, a full on pattern change where we break down that ridge and we start bringing the storm track in right through northern or central California, which should help to um, start putting down some snow right. and maybe accumulating it. But again, you know, we're middle season, we're running out of time. Um, you know, there's the, if you've heard that they talk about the fantastic February or miraculous March or awesome are, April. Are we hoping for one of those? Well, that's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the, the talk in the meteorology world is that those were, those are actual names for past the Hail Marys. The Hail Marys. <laughs> the Hail Marys in the, in the climate world, too, where there have been these miraculous, miraculous catch-ups. Um, but, you know, at this point, the deficits are so low that, at best, under miraculous conditions, you could maybe make average. Maybe get average. Yeah. So we're not, for some places, we're not looking yeah. at, like, it's going to be a uh, above-average year. So uh, there is, however, looking forward seasonally, there is, however, some sort of depressing uh, news that uh, uh, the forecast call for more below average precipitation. That's from the latest uh, Climate Prediction Center uh, seasonal seasonal forecast. Uh, any thoughts on that? I, I think that, um, I, I think that anything's possible. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, looking into this winter, we really didn't see this pattern coming. There wasn't really any predictability in it. There was some of the forecasts were suggesting, and they're gonna be right, that a dry pattern was gonna set up on, across Arizona and New Mexico. It had a little bit of Southern California in it, but the extent of the dry pattern that went right up the West Coast was not predicted. So and if you look on the flip side of that, could you have a couple of atmospheric river events sort of set up and, and funnel a fire hose through Northern California? Absolutely, you know, anything is kind of possible. But again, climatologically, you may hit average. Right. Um, it's gonna be, a, there's gonna be a lot of real important distinctions about how the precip comes to. If they're wet storms with high snow levels, you know, what are we going to do with that? I mean, in a lot of respects, it's not going to do much for snowpack. Right. If they're cold storms and they're well placed. They could, you know, they could be one of those sort of like hail mary passes, like you said, and, and could help local reservoir conditions and help conditions into the um, into the spring. But you know, it's it, I think it's still wide open. And part of the reason is is that we're not in any strong teleconnection pattern with an El Nino or La Nina, so. It should open up some opportunity for some weather to move back in. But I'm going to start canvassing for El Nino to come back. It's been a long time since we've had the cavalcade of Pineapple Express. Right, comes. and so that seems to be percolating right now in the Pacific, right? I mean, so there's this suggestion, and I haven't followed up with the latest guidance, but at least of last month and earlier this month that there was an there's El Nino. Hints. There's hints of it. Yeah, and it's so far. We're in that. We're, there's been hints of it in the past, though. There have been. And, and it, we're so, you know, we're at that um, way outer limits of predictability. And we're actually now coming up against the, the spring predictability barrier. You know, we're even outside of that coming into the spring. But, you know, some of the suggestion was, was that a, a, an El Nino may set up in midsummer, which is sort of the classic, classic setup. The problem with that is, is that um, there's a real subtle and not very clear signal on. Um, an El Nino setting up in the middle of the summer on our monsoon. Mm. And we had an issue with that where an El Nino moved in real, real quickly in um, June and July in 2009. And if anybody remembers that, that turned out to be a pretty bummer. It was the monsoon. second half, right? It really fizzled? Yeah, it was like we had this mid-summer um, breakdown in the monsoon pattern, monsoon ridge in particular, 
August became very, very dry, record dry. Um, what it did turn into though is that the monsoon strengthened very, very quick hitting monsoon, I'm sorry, very, very quick hitting El Nino um, strengthening in the late fall and it caused us to have a pretty good December and January, including right. some record flooding in January of 2010. Again, this is, this is all a little bit crazy eight ball forecasting um, because that signal is not very strong in the summer and we're at the way outer limits of the ANSO or El Nino predictability at this point. Well, one, one thing we should do is we should revisit if, uh, this sort of ridiculous resilient ridge when, when people do sort of diagnostics and, and, and come up with perhaps some good climate explanations for, for what was going on, come back, come back to this. Because I would be interested in, in learning about uh, some of the underlying potential causes or all of the connections that contributed to it. So let's keep that in, yeah, our, so, you know, in our back pocket. It's that uh, detection and attribution. And so the, the last real big push on, on that kind of event was the, the Texas um, drought of uh, a couple years ago, right? And so a bunch of papers came out. I think it was uh, Texas 2011. 2011, that's yeah, right. Yeah, and so a bunch of scientists went in and several teams actually went in and did detection and attribution modeling exercises to try to figure out what was actually causing that. And there was this real strong um, La Nina um, uh, natural variability component to it, including some warming on top of that, which was driving uh, higher levels of evapotranspiration. So it'd be really interesting to sort of dive into this one and see what what we can come up with as well. Interestingly, now that you brought up uh, the, the Texas drought, drought conditions, the sort of epicenter of drought in the last four years have been all over the, the country. Two years ago, it was the Midwest. Three years ago, it was Texas. Now it's in, uh, it's in California. Yeah, quick progression right across from Texas to California. There seems to be every year, though, there seems to be some uh, acute drought or, um, yeah, acute drought in, in some, some regions. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I think we should probably wrap it up for today. Uh, thanks for all of those tuning in to uh, this month's Southwest Climate Podcast, and hopefully we'll, we'll come back in a more regular clip uh, next month. We took a, a two-month break, but uh, I think we're over our, our busy spot. Um, we took a break when it didn't rain, so, so <laughs> yeah. hopefully you'll hear from us more as it rains more. Okay, well, th thanks a lot.